Today's lesson text comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. We have been looking immediately before this at two stories of Jesus' supernatural deliverance. First, inquired in the storm on the outside, when the Sea of Galilee was raging, then quieting the storm on the inside when Jesus confronted and casted out the multitude of demons legion. Today, we will look at another story of Jesus' supernatural deliverance, but this one, for me personally, hits a little home, because we're going to see about the time and the timing of Jesus' deliverance as we look at today's passage. So hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and Jesus was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jarius came out and said to him, falling at his feet and begging him repeatedly, My little daughter, she's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. Now a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better for it, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the disease. Immediately aware the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on me? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Now Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a great commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they all laughed at him. Then, Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk her back. She was about 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this. And he told them to give the girl something to eat. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So Jesus gets off the boat, having been basically asked to leave very politely from the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. He comes back to the Jewish familiar side where he had been ministering before. And unknown to us, but coming in verse 22, a man, Jarius, is having a very bad day. He's in a 911 moment. His little girl is sick and he does not know what to do. But because he's a leader of a synagogue and Jesus had been going around and preaching in synagogues, he had been hearing and seeing what Jesus could do. And so, with the red lights flaring, no choice where else to go, and a full-blown emergency on his hands because things are not going well for his daughter, Jarius gets the idea, I'm going to go down and use my connections with Jesus because I've let him preach, because his job as leader of the synagogue is to choose who preaches every, well, Saturday, and I'm going to use my connections, I'm going to get Jesus to get him to come with me. So we see uh, an initial display of faith. This leader of the synagogue knows what Jesus can do, and he goes to Jesus in faith, and he comes to him and he says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus goes with him. So we have this big 911 moment. The leader comes and asks Jesus to come with him, and then Mark does what Mark likes to do so far in this whole, this whole series of looking at Mark. He creates a standard. You're going to get tired of hearing about Mark eating sandwiches, but what Mark does is he takes one story, starts it, inserts the second, and then inserts that first story again to kind of compress them all down into a nice little theological whopper. But today's story, for all the characters involved in it, proves that being in a Mark eating sandwich can sometimes be really inconvenient. It's very easy for me as a religious person to say, well, you know, five years from now, you're going to see that God was totally in this. It doesn't feel like it at the time. And so, we have this emergency moment, and we run into our second character today, who is going through that 12 long years. So Jesus, Jairus, and all the men are going to the leader of the synagogue's house, and Mark introduces our second character in verse 25. Now there was a woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. There's a lot of speculation about that. They tend to make it something feminine, but the Greek is not so specific. She just got a wound, something universal that each and every one of us can relate with, and it is a 12-year wound. And man, medicine is a lot better than it was in the first century, but this next verse hits home. She didn't hear much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. Now I thank God for physicians and doctors. They can do amazing things. But sometimes a trial comes when the medicine just doesn't help. And it doesn't seem to go away. It relates to that psalm that we pray today. Oh Lord, how long will you forgive me? 
See, it's easy to talk about, well, God was active in my life on the other side of it. But this woman, as she is approaching into Jerusalem, is in that God is active in my life when I can't see him at all moment. And it's 12 years. I think in our... I've been training a puppy lately. One of the things that I've noticed is is puppies have about the same ability to wait as humans do. (laughs) We want instant gratification. We want God to do it now. We read these stories, and, and, and you know, when, when we're children, we say, well, I want to grow up to be Joseph and, and have the dreams. But we often just so naturally skip those little in-betweens in the lines where it says Joseph was in jail for 12 years. Between Potiphar's wife and being called up to Pharaoh, there's 12 years of rotting in bars. We say, oh, I want to be gated in the brave, brave giant hero, and we forget that there was, after Goliath, A whole lot of running and being on the wrong side of the law with Saul. And as we're reading today, he's going to mess it up with Bathsheba. The truth of God's people that just has to be said is there's always a cross in there. And even in the most mighty acts of deliverance, you must remember that for Samson, Philistine 199 was just as deadly as Philistine 1. Super strength and job on the side. Both wanted to kill him just as bad. They were both as bad as you. So this, this story starts with a girl who's on death's doorbed. And we get to this woman who's got death living in her. And it's been gnawing at her and chewing little bits out. We can relate to that physically like she has, but how many of us, that's what it is in the soul. And so anyways, she... John nothing left, but we hear in 27, she heard about Jesus. And she came up behind him in the crowd to touch his cloak, where she said, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. This woman is at the point of magic. She's got this sense that Jesus is a healer, but this touching of clothes is something that comes from the Greek ideas of touching like the statues, of touching tokens of making little idols and praying to them. She's she's so pressed that even in relating to Jesus, she's doing it inappropriately. But we see the grace of God in this action, where she reaches out, she touches the cloak, and is healed. And we learn something interesting about God here, because we get this curious verse in 30. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? When we talk about God and his power, we tend to use human terms. Where in natural physics, humans have power that we can throw away from ourselves. So if I pick up this cup and throw it, I put force into it, but there's forces going to go away from it. In God's being, in the Hebrew understanding, his power and his essence are the same thing. What God does is what he is. And so we see in this moment that, well, for this woman, it's a, it's a token touch. And for this crowd, it's an action that none of them can see. It's total chaos. And it just seems to accidentally happen to us. This idea of the power going out from Jesus and him recognizing it means that God is acting by his own individual will. And he has willed this action to happen. So we have this, this woman who is pressed to the point of death, comes to... 
churches, if it were, looking for some sort of magic solution, has no idea what the faith is in any way, shape, or form, reaches out and touches Jesus, and God is so gracious in this action that even through her magical thinking, he heals her. But Jesus doesn't want to leave her there. And you get this interesting tension and time tension built in by Mark. So Jesus says, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, who touched me? And he had the snark's original in the Greek. You have to remember, for the disciples, the only thing that has happened is, is they've gotten off the boat, they've had the raving crowds, they always do, and they've been told that this little girl's dying. And they've probably joined Jarius in his mood that this is a 911 call. We need to get Jesus to this girl as fast as we can. As they're going over to heal this girl, Jesus just stops in the middle of the crowd and says, hey, who touched me? And this is a grabbing first century crowd. Everybody is touching him, and the disciples get short with Jesus. Oh, how do you say you touched him? Everyone. But Jesus takes this pause in the middle of all the emergencies that's going on in 32. He looked around to see who'd done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I don't like his translation. The focus in the Greek is the woman has fear, yes, but she has trembling and joy because she's felt what's happened to her. She's touched Jesus, she's felt the wound stop. And Jesus turns around and says, well, somebody's had something happen today and I wonder who it is. And she falls down and tells Jesus exactly what she was thinking. Because God had willed to heal her, but Jesus, being the good shepherd, doesn't want to leave her in the, in the superstition. She confesses to Jesus, I thought if I just touched you. And I'm sure Mark, in his typical fashion, is shorthanding this. So Jesus, in the middle of going to, to heal the daughter, pauses and gives a gospel lesson in the middle of the crowd to this woman. That whole truth in Greek is very powerful language, but in 34 he said, Where daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I'm reminded of the story of Lazarus. Jesus is told, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is dying. And Jesus takes four days. But as we get to the next part, as the song says regarding Lazarus, when Jesus is four days late, he's exactly on time. So Mark, after the meets, gets to the other butt of the sandwich, 35. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house. Now, people had faith that Jesus could heal. In fact, having a righteous man come and lay his hands on sick people was something that existed before Jesus showed up. It wasn't uncommon in the Jewish culture for, hey, you're sick, go get a rabbi, kind of like today. Oh, you're sick, let's go get a pastor to pray for you. But no one expected the rabbis in Jesus' day to sit there and raise people from the dead. Elijah had done it once, but that was it. So they come to Jairus and say, your daughter is dead. It's too late. The prayer won't get answered. So we go from the person who's been long-suffering for 12 years and is driven to the end of their wits to the case where Mark is amplifying the demand of faith by getting us to the point where it's already over. 
Now Jairus had seen it. The leader of the synagogue had seen the woman healed. But even then, Jesus, in the word is eavesdropping here, has to say to him, do not fear and only believe. Well, this is the most annoying thing about God's timing in the whole New Testament. It's one thing when it is 12 years. It's another when it's 40 years through the desert for a very long time. We can know, understand rationally that, you know, it takes God 60 years to grow an oak tree and only two years, two weeks to grow a flower. Those platitudes, but Jesus here pushes Jairus to the point where, as far as his world is concerned, it's over. This is his daughter we're talking about. How do you talk about faith and believing when it, when the cards are already down and you've already flipped them over? So many of us have faith in the fossils. When it's getting shot at, we can pray. It's a whole other thing to have faith in a graveyard. And we see how difficult it was for people in Jesus' day, because in 38, when they come to the house of the leader of the synagogue, there's a commotion. There's professional mourners, and they are weeping and playing loud. And it turns out back in those days, there were even laws that no matter how poor you were, say your wife died, you had to buy at least two flute players, otherwise you just weren't, weren't a good person. <laughs> and there is mourning and the great commotion, and Jesus comes and he says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And you see what the religious opinions of that day are. They laugh at Jesus. That's, that's not a naive laughter. If you think about when you go to a Christian funeral, what do we say ultimately? They are not dead, but they are sleeping. And even in a great many churches, if you sit there and say, no, I seriously insist on it, they are not dead, they are sleeping and will be raised with Christ, the morning in the room will switch to that laughter of unbelief and scorn. That's what Jesus is confronting here. In Luke, he even, uh, it's even added that Jesus speaks specifically to the resurrection. So, okay, Jesus comes in and he says, well, she's just sleeping. And they're like, hey, hey another rabbi going on about the resurrection. Little do they know, the resurrection is just walked in the door. So Jesus kicks them all out. He is not putting up with them. It's an interesting move from Jesus because we even get in 43, he strictly ordered them that no one should know about this. And he just tells a little girl to get something to eat. So we see here in Jesus' response to the unbelief of his day is to just kick it out and we'll deal with you later. You'll hear about this in the news and he'll be like, well, I'll only believe it if I see it. And it's like, sucker, you were right there in the room, but you were laughing at it. So of course it kicked you out. So Jesus comes in and says to the little girl, Talithakum, which means little girl, get up. And she does. And you have the understatement of the year. At this, they were overcome with amazing. Application for this one is rather simple. First off, we cannot preach the prosperity gospel that there will never be any crosses and God wants the best life for you right now, right at this second. That woman with the hemorrhage proves otherwise. 
Now, her being healed proved that God was indeed active through all those long years. And that is just that valley of death that Psalm 23 puts us through. The good news there is, is she is healed and delivered from it. And it is over and she is whole. And more than that, she has that full experience so that she personally knows Jesus. And while we may say, but pastor, that's 12 long years. Yes, indeed it is. But the gift that Jesus gives her in turning around, explaining, my daughter, this is a lot more than magically touching me. This is God forgiving you. This is God making the fact that you are his daughter. So set in stone, you will never believe any doctrine or anyone who tells you you are not a child of God ever again. Because what she gets from that moment forward is the knowledge she has eternal life that God is for her in everything that she ever does. And she has no need to fear grave or anything else because nothing will remove her from Christ's hand. Okay, we're there, Pastor. Then we get to Jairus' daughter. The one step further. She is dead and gone. And Christ, even into that situation, expands his power, expands his word, and raises her up. It's one thing to be, I love this riff from Martin Luther King, the butter. Christian. I'll love God, but if he heals me. I'll, I'll go with you, God, but if it's easy. I'll believe in you, God, but if it works out. And we have that immortal response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. When told to bow before the fiery furnace, they say, well, our God can deliver us, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. This is the same kind of message. We must get to the faith that the Lord will heal me of this hemorrhage, but if not, I am still delivered. The Lord will deliver me from the sense of sin and being cast off, but if I never develop that sense, I still have it. And Jesus shall be the resurrection and the healing in our life, because my friends, one of the things that annoys me the most is when I pray for God to heal somebody on his promises, I actually expect him to do it. That's not Pentecostal or anything else. That's just resting on his promises. But if I pray, and in this life it is not seen, but if not, it is still seen in the next life, because there has never been a patient for that I have ever prayed for, nor will there ever be a brother or sister, whether I know them or not, that I have lifted up to the Lord in prayer, but that Jairus' daughter on the last day shall be risen whole. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.